I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. I'm really excited today. I've been wanting to talk to John Cripple for so long, and I got him here with me. Yay, I'm so happy. <laughs> John, I'm really happy you're here. This is so fun. Um, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I just want to say thanks for the chance because I will tell you, somewhere around 2007, I saw you doing something in Palm Springs at Q, and I went, I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> and it's all worked out. Like, literally... I just I just saw you doing your thing, and I was like, "That's what it looks like. Good teaching and learning. That's what it looks oh, like." Oh, so, well, you, you just don't want to be like me because it'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, not too much, yeah, not, not too, too much, much like me. So, before we go on, I always love to tell everyone um, a little bit about people that are with my, on my show, and I I think I got I could go on and on, so I'll just go and tell a little bit about you right now, okay? Okay. All mm-hmm. right. So, John is the executive director of Q. He's past innovation officer, and I just love that title. Oh yeah, that was fun. That, that was fun. And you were the chief instigator of the Q Rockstar uh, teacher camps for Q, right? Yep. Yep. Oh man. And then, okay, so I got to go back and tell about your teaching career started in Clovis Unified, and yeah, right. Emergency teacher. Emergency teacher. Wow. But you did have multiple positions as a teacher. Right. Yeah, I've I've hit for the cycle, as they say in baseball. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to go into a little more details on that. But you also, then you became an administrator, a trainer of teachers, and then you ran a weekly TV show. Boy, that's all. <laughs> that's all, yeah. <laughs> then John has received many awards for his dedication to bring technology and joy. Because we have to bring in joy, right? To- it, it, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, what What is the saying? Uh, uh, a man who a man who tries to teach without forming a relationship is hammering cold iron. Oh, how do you like oh, that? Oh gosh, I haven't heard that before. Yeah, yeah, I messed it up. It's not the original saying. Oh, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> but something like that. Yeah. Well, you bring joy to teaching and learning, and also it's you've made you know there's so many fun things that are happening in Q now. But you also co-authored. A really good book. I, I just finished it so I could have some oh, things. Good. Yeah, I wanted to have some things to talk to you about. Uh, Edu Protocols. And I, I I think it's like, it's the infinite student-centered learning possibilities or something like, is that right? Yeah, endless learning possibilities. I love yeah. it. Well, the idea is, you know, think of it, if I could use the food paradigm, right? Um, think of it as um, if you're a chef and and you don't have 365 breakfasts that you cook one day a year, right? You have you have a set of egg dishes. You have some like burrito options. You have uh, you know some breakfast casseroles, and then you play within those fields. But you master about eight or nine dishes. And if I come to your restaurant, you're getting the dishes you've mastered. Yet in teaching, we think that every day I need a different worksheet or the kids won't get it. And so the idea of Edu Protocols is what if I can set up things that lower the cognitive load for human beings so that we can focus on the content and not constantly be working for the perfect worksheet at Teachers Pay Teachers, for example. Can't believe I just said that. That's okay. 
because we're going to talk about that even more. Okay. Oh, we get down right. and dirty. We're going to really talk about all of these things. So Ooh, I can always share I'm, so much I'm more. I'm wrestling with Barbara. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much more about you, John, that we, we're going to really be able to talk about a lot of this. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so, so, so glad to be here. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm such a fan of everything Barbara Bray and chance to talk one-on-one is gold. Oh, John. Now you're making me blush. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I got to, this is about you, right? So you, oh, sure. you can keep on, you know, if you want to <laughs> just keep praising me once in a while, I'm, I'll take it. That's okay. <laughs> but it's about you. And, and I always like to start with, tell me about you and you and your family, you know, Growing up and all of that. Well, you know, uh, I uh, grew up in Paso Robles, which has gone from three wineries to 500 wineries since I lived there in the, in the, uh, I'm I'm a a class of 69 in kindergarten, 1969. (laughs) And, um, I would say that school for me, uh, some of my earliest memories of school as an institution for me were things like, because I'm a July 1st baby. So kindergarten for me meant that I was the only kid who didn't know how to tie their shoes. Oh, because you were the youngest, one of the youngest. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, I probably just didn't, my mom probably tried to help me. And I probably didn't pay attention because, <laughs> like, who cares, man? Yeah. Um, some of my first memories of first and second grade include things like uh, realizing that I never get blue stars. I only get red. Uh, and school kind of just went like that all the way through for me. And I, I, there were very few people that were mean-spirited about it. But the thing that I've really been working on, and, and you'll, I think you'll see a lot of this in when you read Edge of Protocols in terms of the spirit of people, not just the work, but the spirit, right? Our job is to make stronger human beings, not to, not to put them into order and say, well, you're just not going to make it in college. That's not my job as an educator. And how many teachers have you heard say that? Well, I just don't know if he's college material so you can't get an A. Dude, that's not your job. That is not your job. My job is to run around like Bob Ross, the crazy painter, and make people enjoy each other and painting. That's what we, you know, that's what's really missing, I think, from education in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 21st century is we have failed to realize that it's a people business first. It's a people business first. And then we, then the second piece is we've got to grapple with that um, I love Michael Fullan's quote, and I've been spouting it off for about three years, that as a profession right now, we are overly dependent on corporately produced lesson plans. And the easiest way I could litmus test that with you, Barbara, is if I went up to 100 teachers and said, I'm burning your teacher's edition, what are you going to do? They'd be, they'd be strapped. Like, what do you mean? I can tell you without a doubt right now, I can teach 4th through 12th grade, uh, 4th through 11th grade, language arts. And I don't need a single textbook, and my kids will score very high on Smarter Balance. You know why? I understand Latin roots. I understand how to teach parts of speech. I understand how to connect those to technology and social media. I understand how to do things that result in a, a class that doesn't have a bell curve. Imagine that. So that's kind of my school passion. Like I, I would seek to undo what was done to me. Uh, my freshman and sophomore yearbooks are completely virginal. They have no signatures. I got my yearbook and I walked home. That was school for me. And um, somewhere around my junior year, I started uh, getting into Oingo Boingo. And uh, Danny Elfman taught me that it's okay to not care what other people think through song lyrics. And uh, I basically said, 
No matter what I do, they won't like me anyways. Ergo, I can do whatever I want. And that was the big paradigm shift for me, was not caring so much about trying to be part of the big system. And so... And then and then I went through college, and literally I was a 2.9 in K-8. I was a 2.9 all the way through high school because that was just good enough to get me into football. And then I went and played a little football uh, in college, and guess what? I kept that 2.9 nice and steady. And then um, I got into my advertising classes my junior year. And you know what's different about advertising classes, Barbara? They're hands-on. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to come up with your own ideas, yeah, too. So yeah, probably, so yeah. they give you a product, and you've got to come up with ways to explain things. And you're writing TV commercials, and you're producing ads, and you're presenting, and my GPA shot right up to a 4.0. Well, then uh, I got done with that, and I did some graduate assistant coaching, which actually really paid off for me because I learned a lot about um, – andragogy in coaching. And and you might think if you've never played college football that it's just a bunch of guys running around being mean to each other, but it, there's a lot of subtleties and there's a lot of um, idiosyncrasies about teaching and learning and getting fast results. Let's talk about the end of the year assessment, right? Every teacher is worried about the end of the year assessment. I want you to be a division one football coach. You cannot practice until August 5th. Your first game is August 25th, and it's going to be on ESPN. You want to talk about an assessment? you got 30 days to be ready. And so they're maniacal about fast improvement and quality improvement because you can't just win the first game. Everybody gets better the second game. Everybody gets better the third game. It's a constant improvement cycle. And so I actually went out and did some advertising for a few years, and then I was helping my wife out. She's an educator as well, and she was doing a summer class. She was doing high school history, and she had no business teaching that class. But I was I was giving her a lot of history tips because I like history, and I was like, wow, this, this lesson design thing is kind of cool, right? This is fun. And so um, – I had a situation where I was between jobs and I said, I'm going to go be a teacher. And that's how it started. So, well, you know, I taught adver- I taught an advertising class. Oh, so God, yeah, what- okay. I love so that. So we can talk, and, we can and, talk CPM and yeah. we can talk, uh, you know, all those kind of key terms. But the advertising yeah, twist, that. when yeah. I became a teacher, and I think I see this in you now, was uh, a lot of teachers look at a room full of kids and I'm, I'm just going to be honest right now. There's a lot of teachers that look out there and they see 35 kids and they think, what do I got to do to get this down to 32 kids? Yeah. It's like they can eliminate some kids, which is the worst thing to think about. And so because of my advertising training, I come into the classroom thinking, 32, I got room for five. Because if five people add themselves to my class by transferring from another school, that means I'm effective. And my measure was to be effective. Not to make my class smaller, not to make my class simpler. My 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 goal was different, so my result was different. So where did you, was that when you said, you know, you were at Clovis? Yeah, that was in Unified? Clovis, yeah. And so what, you taught high school? Uh, yeah, so when, uh, flash forward about 11 or 12 years, and I got to open up Minarets High School with Mike Niehoff, which was great fun because we opened the first high school in a district that never had a high school district. So they didn't know how, they didn't know what a prom was. They didn't, you know, they didn't know anything about high school. And luckily Mike had about 20 solid years of high school experience. And then I had all my K-8 ideas and we, we kind of mind melded them. And, and I told him, I go, look, I got to tell you, 
if uh, the stats in California are that 70% of kids will not attempt college. Oh, that's that's terrible. Well, it's not necessarily right. terrible. Let me adjust your, your point of view there a little bit. No, no, no. But I, what I'm thinking is that seems so high compared to some other states. Right, right. Well, and, and yeah. that's statewide. So some districts are remarkably mm-hmm. higher and some districts yeah. are remarkably lower. So that's the average. But I said, Mike, if, if 70% of high school is built for 30% of the kids, we are wasting a lot of people's time. Yeah, not everyone has to go to college. Right, right. So what if school was cool for the other 70%? And then I had to really do some soul searching. And if you go back to the 50s and 60s, English was one of six classes. Math was one of six classes. And then you did shop and you did home ec. And all the other things that we're now labeling SEL happened in the fun classes. But now we're in this test and punish model. I call it test and punish. That's my own made-up phrase. So now it looks like this. If I'm not super good at English because I'm not super interested in English and it's not super engaging, then I get a low test score on the state test. Now they give me two English classes, which now affects my ability to want to be at school at all, right? So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I think in the 90s we made school too academic, and, and here's my counterpoint. If anybody's going, well, John, school has to be academic. Dude, really? Really? I really want you to think about this. You show me a kid who wants to go to Stanford or Cal. If they work hard at whatever high school they're at, they have a chance, okay? Nobody ever says, you can't come to Stanford because you're from this little bitty school. That never happens, It may be that you don't get picked for various reasons, but it's not because you're from a little bitty school. And it's not because of all these other reasons. One of my big things that it was so fun to talk about with the kids at Minarets was that um, at that point, you could walk right into straight straight into Fresno State with a 3.0 and no SAT. So what are you guys killing yourselves for? And they're like, well, we got to be ready for college. I go, dude, you sit and take notes and then you read the chapter. What do you got to, you don't got to prepare for that for four years. It's going to take about a week. If you can read and take notes, you'll be able to do that in a couple of days. So what if high school, and I guess maybe this is my synopsis for this segment. Think Venn diagram. Over here are my classic high school skills. What are my classic high school skills? Scantron. I can do an 80 question Scantron. I can do 40 problems of math a night. Algorithms. My friends help me on Facebook. Uh, I can fake that I've read a book right? Because we know that most people have not read The Hobbit. They've watched the movie. Uh, I can write a pretty good five-paragraph essay. I might have been in some clubs or sports. That's my classic high school portfolio. Would you disagree? Well, and I said I'm, yeah. I'm painting with a broad brush. That's, right. That's the classic high school skill set. And that is the skill set people are trying to build to get into a better school. Okay. What if I added to that can run multiple professional apps like uh, Pro Tools, SketchUp, and Final Cut, can present to adults in groups of over 200 with vigorous applause, can build a website on something they've never heard of in one class period. If you add that skill set to the classic, you've got a much more robust person. And again, what I've really realized in the last two or three years is that's also kind of the definition of SEL, right? I can roll in and handle myself. And maybe that 
maybe that didn't come out right. I can handle myself. Yeah. <laughs> handle myself is probably not the best phrasing, but I can <laughs> I can deal with things. I can adapt. I, I can mean. learn quickly. You can't give me something that I cannot generally process and deal with. And and I think of the kids who and we've heard this scenario for years, right? Oh, they can't even fill out a form at the DMV. Well, maybe that's a form of emotional health. Maybe that's a sense, because I can remember 1981 thinking, I'm a senior in high school, and I have no idea what I'm going to do skill-wise after this. I have no skills to go out and do that. I'm none. Well, we don't teach life skills. We need to, I mean, the social, emotional, and the skills that um, businesses say they need have nothing to do with academics. I mean, they they even say now they'd rather see someone with an MFA than yeah, a... Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, and I was I was using Stanford for an example. If you look at their entrance requirements, it'll tell you, it says right in there, we do not expect you to take all AP classes. Mm-hmm. I know. And and the amount of work these these kids do, yeah. And the hours that are going down the tubes and really... And I just think people haven't figured out yet that it's just a different form of McDonald's at this point because they're all just lining up to be the same at the same time that employers are saying, show me where you're creative, show me where you're an individual, show me your ability to deal with irregularity, and we're teaching kids to memorize 800 words for their AP class, right? So it's like, oh, and when I say AP, Barbara, I know that there are AP teachers that kill it. I get that. What I'm talking about is the generalized plan of an AP approach, which is to prepare kids for college by denying them the time to be able to do projects while they're in high school. That's the trade-off that's tricky, is I, I, have, I see kids that say, I can't do that, I can't do that shop class because I got to take AP. And I'm like, so for what? So you can't learn how to build, cut things, assemble things, design things? That's a huge life skill. It's also, I will tell you, as a boy person who's built two of my own houses now, that being able to say, I know how to wire a three-way switch means I can talk to electricians with much more bravado when I'm designing a house than I don't know what you guys do with your magic boxes. There is a mental health component to that. Yes, and my daughter's doing that now with her husband. So she's actually building and learning a lot of... The skills. I think right now we need to stop what we're, you know, look back and stop for a minute and see whether the skills that these kids have, too. Well, and, and uh, there's data. NCTM, uh, National Council on Teaching Math, they will tell you themselves math scores have been flat for 40 years. Okay. I'm not even going to get into our English scores. I'm not even going to get into English because uh, we've got the same kind of thing going on with English at this point. And, and so if your metric is we can't because of, we're going to have big problems. We're going to have big problems yeah. in the future if we hang our hat on that other type of schooling. You know, it's really fun. You get down deep and dirty around with all these things, and I love it because you're just like me. I just I want to shake up the way we're teaching. It's just. Well, and, and that's the thing where I totally with you is you've got to understand the DNA of the thing that you would rewire, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got to understand that this is how far back I've gone in some of the things I've read. And I'm not reading really weird stuff. It's like Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto, uh, most likely to succeed the movie. Um, there's uh, one of my favorites is Why Johnny Can't Read by Rudolph Flesh, the Flesh Kincaid reading level, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to know that 
that school was built to sort people into the good people and the not good people. That was the goal of school given to us by Horace Mann, who lost a challenge of what school going to look like in a competition with John Dewey. Okay, John Dewey and Horace Mann were talking about what the future of education would look like, and Horace Mann ended up going to Prussia and seeing uh, a militarized school model. That's what American high school is formed after. And so you've got to understand that and understand your dysfunction and your codependence because we're all codependent. It's no different than having grown up with a parent that smokes or drinks or whatever. We, When we're not sure what to do, we're going to snap back to what was done to us for, in some cases, 20 years. Wow. 20 years of that behavior, we're going to snap back to that. And so you've to be able to free yourself from that, you've got to understand, how did I get here? And I'll tell you my quick moment, and then we can transition. I started being a graduate assistant. I'm probably uh, 20, 21 years old. I've been graduate assistant for 11 minutes at practice, and I say this, hey, son, you can't do that. And I think to myself, where did where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. Hey, son, where did that, <laughs> that kid's the same age as me. Where did that come from? And I realized, oh my God, I was doing coach talk, coach talk. And I think that's what happens to us as teachers. Barbara, how many teachers have you seen that say, well, this is the way I was graded in college? Well, dude, they're eight. It's yeah. not okay. It's not yeah. okay to treat eight-year-olds like people that are paying 20000 a year that are adults that can leave. And so your whole basis is, I'm going to grade them the way I was graded because that's what they're going to get in college. Well, I got bad news for you. 70% aren't going to college. So why wreck their lives? And you know, John, it's like just being able to, like you have, you're talking to teachers that really feel like they can't change because this is it's too difficult to change the status quo. So I'm seeing that schools are now realizing they have to, especially the universities yeah. are, yeah. because they're losing kids. People will leave. They're they leaving. will walk right out. And if, if public schools don't think that's a thing, look at charter schools and look at home schools. They are growing like crazy because people are just willing to leave um, – a person that gives my kids packets and go to a person who just gives my kids packets and skips all the lecture, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, and they're succeeding at it. And, and, and it could literally be in three years, and I'm going to say this, in three years, public school as a brick-and-mortar entity could be largely gone as we know it if people decide to leave. It could, it could disappear that fast. Well, they are. I mean, the other thing is universities are – people are realizing, wait a minute. I can't even get a job after going four or six years in a yeah. university. What all that money with the student debt and everything? I could, I could have bought a food truck and just had a career. So, yeah, <laughs> but you were even mentioning shop. I go to schools that don't have shop or home ec, or they have make. They're starting to bring in maker spaces now. And, right, right. But so you know, I let's go into now. How did you get into Q? I mean, you said you saw me in two thousand six, but what? Uh, oh, I can start? I can tell you the exact moment that Q started for me. It's really super simple. Um, it was actually I think 1998. My wife, we had just gotten married. No, no, no. It was 90. Must have been 93 or four. And my wife goes, "Hey, I'm going to this conference in Palm Springs." I was like, "What? What are you doing? What? You're a teacher. What? What are you doing?" And <laughs> she she went to Q in about 92. And then I I kind of just let it go. And then Sarah Armstrong uh, called me from Q. I know you know Sarah. She oh, interviewed yeah. me about my one-to-one palm classroom that I was running. So I actually literally have that article still in black and white photo. It's hilarious. Yeah, um, cool. 
and uh, Brian Kerwick. I went to work for Fresno County Office, and Brian Kerwick, I bet you know him too. Oh, I know Brian, yeah. Uh, he comes into work one day, and he goes like, dude, this is the month. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, we're going to Q this month. We're going to Q. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and so uh, I was like, oh, okay, all right, whatever. And went down, and I was like, oh, my God, completely blew my mind. So um, that was what really involved me with Q. And then I got involved with CVQ. And then, you know, I did my first ever session for, for CVQ. I had one person come to my session. <laughs> oh, that, that happens. But then well, you change. I mean, But it's we're still voice. friends it's... to this day. We're still friends to this day. <laughs> that, one, that one person was uh-huh. the right person. Yeah. Now, and we had a great now, time and it was fine. But, yeah. but uh, my encouragement to people would be that what I've learned is that um, I really feel like if every teacher was able to present to adults in public, why they love teaching and technical reasons that you could borrow, steal from them, that we'd all be better teachers. I, I'm stunned at how many teachers say, I can't present. I'm, I can't present. And I think, dude, you present all day long. Yeah. That's what you do. You all, all day long, you present. And now you're telling me that you can't present? And I, don't, I just don't think it puts a it, – it's not a good light. It's like saying a, a guy that says, I like racing cars, but I'm not going to enter a race. You know, Oh, it's too scary. <laughs> if you race cars, you race cars. Well, no, I now I do. You know, my uh, podcast goes out to a lot of other states. They may not know what Q is, so I'm just going to let them know oh, it yeah. started as computer using educators. Now it's Q, but it's the conference that um, takes in California and Nevada and where else now? Well, we're going to be just California, Nevada for as, as long as I can tell. Uh, okay. Between but we California, have people from yeah, oh yeah, all over there's members time. from all over for sure. Um, and, and Q in California, Nevada, we have around eighty thousand teachers to take care of, and that's my logic. We have to take care of them. And so, what what uh, our board is into, and what I really agree with, is we need to get our house in order before we start presuming to tell other states what to do. And there's plenty of work here. Yeah, and there's other states that have their something like Q, like MassQ and Ties and others that are. Yes, yes. Everybody's everybody, but um, we're California, so I, I for me, I've been involved as long as you and maybe a little longer. And um, what I think that's really cool is there's so many new people that keep coming, right? And, and they and the excitement and the engagement, it, it's so wonderful. Well, one of the things that's really, I think uh, I was, I bumbled into it. I would love to tell you it was some big strategic plan, but it was just, it sounded like it made sense. And I went for it. Very Barbara Bray, Hall Davidson-esque. Um, <laughs> when I went to work for Q full-time, um, we started doing our professional learning events. And one of the things I realized was that all these teachers were leaving our events, not just our conferences, because here's some good stuff you may not know, Barbara. Over the last uh, four years since I've been involved with professional learning, we've trained uh, almost 50,000 teachers outside of the conferences. Wow. That's okay. amazing. So what That's we're trying amazing. to do is round it out so that, yeah, we have the two conferences, but look what's happening in between. Mm-hmm. And um, But what I noticed was people were leaving our events, and then they were having to spend a lot of time justifying their actions to their administrators. And so that's when we started doing things like Rockstar for admins and mm. uh, Super Q, which is just for superintendents, to show them what the state of the art looked like. And th- that was when things really exploded because now you've got the drivers going, I want it to be more like that. And you didn't have just teachers of the line trying to explain what, the, what it looked like. 
uh, you have administrators saying, I want this. And it's amazing. We've got a few districts that we work with. Um, Union, uh, we've done stuff with uh, Valverde. We've done stuff with um, a whole bunch of districts. But when you see that leadership all the way through, from the, the administrator to the directors to the IT to the TOSAs to the, to the teachers, the pace of the change is amazing. It's well, amazing. It's, a, it's a whole community. Right. I know that some schools, they would only let one or two or maybe five go. And they made very few in the beginning were administrators going. They, they you know, just didn't realize it. So it's a good thing that you're doing now. It's just wonderful. Yeah. Well, and then that led out on to some new professional development stuff we're doing. So now we do the Rockstar Black Labels. So we will bring basically a Q event to the school. And uh, I'm not doing a sales thing here. I'm just sharing that we will bring um, a series of our really amazing speakers and leaders to do hands-on at a school for $120 per teacher per day. And so for those folks that can't go to Palm Springs, because that's, that's a, you're committing uh, between 900 and 1200 bucks a day for an event like that. And so there's a limited number of bodies. But we've done events where we'll go and train three, four hundred teachers right at their own school district. Wow. And, and so it's crazy affordable. I mean, do the math, $120 a teacher a day. We can train 100 teachers for $12,000. If you're trying to send that same crew to ISTE, you're going to send seven teachers. It's a really big difference in terms of impact. Yeah. Well, that's It's not meant to replace the conferences. It's just a chance to have the conference experience, right? Without without jets and vans and mm-hmm. all that, and stuff. I mean, and many of the schools are doing ed camps now, and so I even see that Q is being involved in those. So, so let's talk about your book before, because I, you know, I try to pull everything together, keep it kind of short, but I there's so much about you, I could talk for like hours and hours. So tell me, um, I I love this book, Edge Protocols, and you and Marlena came up with. Or actually, it was her idea, and then she grabbed you. Is how did how did it happen? Um, no, you know, it was as about as equal as a partnership as you could ever see. Yeah, um, we worked together for about two years up in Mariposa County office. And when I got there, um, at first, she was trying really hard to be a classic teacher, as I described earlier. And so I started showing her some of the twists and wrinkles of a different approach, and then. Uh, she was able to push in on some classrooms, and she's like, wait a minute, Kripo, I think you got something here. I think this works. And I was like, dude, I've been telling you for two years. So what's been really amazing for me is that she took a few of those things, and then she transitioned back into the classroom for about a year and then moved to Fresno County office. But in that year, she basically went on a sabbatical, went back to the classroom, okay, tried out okay. all the weird stuff in her head, and came up with a whole bunch of new things. And uh, so we really, uh, I guess, to some degree, I laid the tracks for Edge Protocols in terms of my concept was, I'm not going to do a different lesson every day. I'm just going to change the content. And that, and, and then, but, but Marlena put the train on the tracks um, because then she started building other things in that same vein. And the idea is I don't take home stacks of paper. I grade it in real time in class. I don't, I don't have... Like, it, when I come out of Christmas break, this is my planning. Ready? 
I'm going to need a Cyber Sandwich Tuesday and Thursday. I'm going to do quizzes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm going to do Iron Chef on Wednesday, and we're going to do mini report on Wednesday and Friday. Planning's done. My whole week's done. Well, My week I, is over. So, I mean, I'm just going to I'm just going to go over some of the edge of protocols because I some of them I well one you have start right let me smart just say starts it. awesome okay let me just say it's it's start smile teach activities um, wait a minute what is that I can't remember what the R is now. Uh, uh, I think it repeats the repeats. idea that, that yeah. it, it can, it, 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 not it. in a bad way. And then target barriers. And yep. I, what I, and you also have the four C's mm-hmm. and those are collaboration, communication, critical thinking, and creativity, which they have to be in there. And you, and you talk about bringing those in, but the well, big, uh, and my big push on the four C's is this. I'm not looking at what the teacher's doing. Yeah. What am I it's looking the, at? At the kids. What are the kids doing? What yeah. work are the kids doing? And I don't have a grade for sitting quietly. There's no grade for that. So yeah, okay, that's, and, that's magic engagement. But the and then you, the piece that I love is because this is what I push is it's all about the culture and the relationships. And you have so many wonderful activities. So I just want to talk about a few because you you mentioned the um, iron, you know, the iron chip. But I want to talk about um, you have the frayer. Yes. You start with, let's just tell a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, so basically, it's if, if anybody's listening along, just open up a tab or visualize going to Google Images and type in Frayer model. And what you're going to basically see is just a piece of paper that's quartered. It's nothing super fancy. The keyword's in the middle, right? This this was, uh, and I love being standing on the shoulders of giants, right? So Dorothy Frayer came up with this with a team of folks at Wisconsin as a more effective way to understand vocabulary. Now, eight-year-old me, if you came into me and said, we're going to do a Frayer on these spelling words, you, you, I'm done, dude. I'm cooked. So, yeah. so my variation is: what if we frayer a friend the first day of school to get to know people? Do you see me getting rid of my own ghosts right here? Right. Let's get to know everybody. Because here's what I found, uh, Barbara: in classrooms, you'll have classes that'll stratify based on I'm a cheerleader and I'm a geek and I'm a football player. And I believe it is the educator's job to say, "Don't we all like Babe?" the movie? Don't we all like Lord of the Rings? Don't we all like Escape by Journey? My job is to find out what they like and don't like so that I can help them have dissimilar interests so that the Aggie is hanging out with the football player who's hanging out with the geek because they all are into Pomeranians. Who would have figured? <laughs> but unless I ask the question, I don't know, right? Unless I ask the question, and, and when you build a classroom around affinities and dislikes, because when I do the frayer or friend with teachers, number one answer is usually traffic <laughs> uh, for dislike, right? So then you can say, yeah, we all hate traffic. Well, now I know what to slip into the conversations, right? Um, and so the frayer idea is really just the idea of instead of having kids copy down the definition or write a sentence, I'm going to now give them a device. And this is where Barbara's techie side kicks in. If I have a nice paper organizer called a frayer and I have Google images over here, my ability to find the data to complete the task is nearly limited, limitless, right? And so then the other strength of a frayer is that you have characteristics in your own words and then you have examples and non-examples and that's where it moves you up on blooms, right? So this is very technical, but you can do it with third graders, right? So you first oh, day yeah. of school, fray or a friend. Second day of school, fray or a friend. 
food edition, right? So <laughs> what's their, what are three foods they like? What are three foods they dislike? Yeah. What are characteristics of food that are important to them? And what's their dream food? Right now I have this conversation. Now, week two, when I tell eight-year-old me, it's time to do our vocab and we're going to fray it, eight-year-old me is like, oh my God, this is the best. I know how to do this. Yeah, And yeah. so it's really, it's, and it's also uh, what I've termed the sushi method of teaching, because if you have a friend who's never had sushi, you would not try to give them the freshwater eel, right? You, <laughs> you would not go straight to freshwater eel or quail egg. I can't even eat it now. Right, or <laughs> quail egg. You don't start there. You know what you start with? Yeah. Vegetable tempura. Yeah. It's just JoJo's, man. Or a California roll. Nope, nope, you nope. Know. It's got, it's got, nope, it's no. got crab in it. I'm gonna start. Oh, ri- okay. I'm gonna start really low. <laughs> Vegetable tempura. <laughs> then you know what comes out next is chicken teriyaki because the the Japanese restaurants make chicken teriyaki better than you do. Now you're like, mm, my mouth is a fl- a, a exploding with these flavors. What else? Then cucumber roll. Do you know why? We're only dealing with one variable: seaweed. We're only dealing with one variable. Then, then the tuna roll might show up. <laughs> now while you're going, oh my god, I can't believe I'm eating a tuna roll. This is great, right? Then you know it shows up, that Godzilla roll. And they're like, dude, what's that? But do you see how I set the hook? Yeah. it's a, Well, you also did, there's another hook that you did, which I, I love. I've done this with so, several, is cats and dogs. Right. Where yeah. Just a simple one where you want people to like and dislike. What do you like the most? And you have them go on. I, with, and and if know. somebody's listening, just go Google Huff, Huffington Post cat and dog diary and you'll yeah. see it. But the idea is the, the Area 51 stealth pieces, I'm teaching kids to be really good at comparing anything. Yeah. And after we compare cats and dogs, which is hilarious, as you saw, we uh-huh. might compare Big Macs and Whoppers. We might compare um, Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande, New Kids on the Block, and Bon Jovi, right? I'll just yeah. be doing goofy stuff so that they get really good at, watch what I'm going to do right now, comparing because once you can compare anything, you can compare anything. But the problem is most kids are not capable of making a Venn diagram. So then when I make it academic, now they feel twice as dumb because I don't know yeah. what you're talking about and I can't do this. My kids are like licking their chops. And I will quote Todd Cosentino, Course Gold, California. He was in my sixth grade class. I taught him how to do Venn diagrams the fun way. He came to me as a junior in high school and says, today we had a compare and contrast essay. I closed my eyes and saw the Venn diagram. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And you need to know that Todd is not a guy who was a school lover by any classic stretch. He was not a straight A guy. But five years later, he could close his eyes and see a Venn diagram. That's what we need to head towards. That's a totally transformative perspective on that because my goal is to teach kids to compare and to think and to yeah. and to do those things first. Then you get into the academics. Well, the thing is about the culture is that one thing that I liked is and in your book and what I've you know, I, I see when I see teachers do this, they get the kids out of the chairs, they get yeah. them moving around, they get them talking to each other, and especially getting to know kids that don't know each other. Yeah. So that culture is a caring culture. People that, you know, like you even, you said one thing in your book was that people didn't know your name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That and, was a story I was just going to tell you. My name yeah. for most of first grade was short stuff. Now, that's They did so not know awesome. my name and they did not care to know my name. Wow. And look at you now. I mean, but, but I mean, it's amazing if we can't 
just treat people with respect at, at right. all ages and, and get that's to know I'm, them. I'm not yeah. sure who it was. It might have been Tom Murray. It might have been Jimmy Costas. Uh, uh, it might have been Joe Sanfilippo, but it was some one of those guys. And they basically said, you know, one of the things we could get, we could get everybody to have an A and empathy in school. Yeah. And wouldn't empathy that be a better so world? Important. Wouldn't yeah. that be a better world? Because if, if we had more empathy, people would sign up to teach people how to read for the fun of it. You know why? Yeah. They have empathy. And we're totally yeah. missing that piece of the puzzle in school. And that's where I go back to dumbing us down, why Johnny can't read, most likely to succeed. We are codependent with the idea that we can emotionally divorce ourselves with the results of what we do to human kids. And it's yeah. not okay. It is no. not okay. Well, um, I, like I said, I could go on and on. But oh, I we can do this for hours. The, hours and hours, but I think <laughs> I have to pull it together. One thing, John, is that I, I want them just to know that you're writing some more books. Is that okay? Oh, Maybe. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I don't do secret projects. I don't do secret projects. So uh, the two books, uh, we're working on Edge of Protocols 2. And so it's actually going to be a more advanced version. We wrote Edge of Protocols 1 for people who had no idea what an Edge of Protocol was. So they're relatively simplistic and quick to adapt, which is great because you can then take that protocol as far as you want. Like I tell people, if you want to take this protocol and you want to make it work in your AP class, you just do a couple little twists and you got it. Here's a couple of my twists. Pick your own website. Tell me why it's legit. You will cite it in APA and MLA. You know why? Because Google Docs does it for you. Oh, my God. Right? It's not that hard. You did one other thing. You did edu- you did edu- protocols for littles. You, and, and every chapter you did that, too. Which is- but that, again, that's the beauty of a good edu- protocol is it scales up like crazy and it scales down like crazy because yeah. it's really just good learning. And yeah. then I will get people that will email me and say, do you have any for social studies? And I'm like, dude, they're all for social studies. Do you have any for Santhia? They're all for science. I had a person email <laughs> me last night that I uh, really respect. And she said, what do you have for edu- protocols on SEL? And I go, you just do the regular thing, but you point them at a different source. So you do a cyber sandwich on something that's SEL related. And she's like, oh, my God. I go, you don't make new ones. You don't need to. You just change the content. And that's the beauty of it. So book two is going to have, I think, an even dozen of new uh, official protocols. You have a new book, another one that you're thinking of. Do you want to say that one real quick? Yeah, I'm working on that with Corey Orlando. It's called No Better, Do Better. And basically, we're going to throw ourselves under the bus in each chapter and tell people stupid things we did. (laughs) <laughs> and then we're going to tell people how we do it now. And uh, my my goal for that group would be pre-service teachers to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to grade that way or I'm not going to teach reading that way. I'm yeah. going to do it this way. So basically the format is we're going to really throw ourselves under the bus and be really honest and raw about things that we did that were considered industry standards, right? And yeah. then And then we're going to give the modern solution. Like how would I do it now? So no better do better. So once you know better, you have uh, you have a, a responsibility to do better if you oh, know the better pot ma- I can't so wait to. I think that's going to be fun. Yeah, I might even have a few for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and once you start telling people this, they're like, oh, my God, let me tell you what I did. I, I can probably so bad. you, too. <laughs> so, so bad. Fun. Well, John, this has been wonderful. I'm so excited that you took the time and you shared some, a lot oh, of these great yeah. ideas. This is Wonderful. And Q, I hope people, if they haven't gone to Q, I hope they at least, I'm going to put in links. Uh, I make the blog post. We oh, go, great. You know, oh, we're going to awesome. do that together. So we'll put all the links in it that you mentioned and maybe even one of the frayer <laughs> just to show them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and some Freya, other ideas. Freya, a colleague, works too. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And you're so welcome, and I'm privileged to be in your presence. Oh, no. This is uh, very mutual. <laughs> this is like, you can tell, it's a mutual admiration society here. Yeah, so, which is th- okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with John Crippo. Look for a complimentary blog post about John where we pull together resources and links for you. So please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and we'd love a review. You know, you can also subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net and then you'll receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.